Hello and welcome to New Active's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from New Active's Agri-Food News Team. Of course, this week, all eyes and ears are on the uh, common agricultural policy reform. Everyone's talking about cap. Actually, negotiators are sealing a deal on the cap, literally as we speak, as we record this podcast. Um, Of course, we're following all of the developments on the cap reform as they happen, and we'll bring this to you. Um, We're going to bring you articles and analysis and everything else. Um, But we will be talking about this in more depth uh, on the on next week's podcast so never fear we will be here to talk all things cap but in the meantime while we wait until that episode comes um, we have for you on the same theme on a similar theme on on the cap and its environmental ambitions today um, we actually have an interview with Jindrik Dolezal um, who is uh, part of the European Court of Auditors so he was part of the team that put together um, a recent report on cap funding for climate change um, and so we spoke to him uh, to hear a little bit more about what this report was and what it found. Could you maybe give us a quick overview of this report and its main findings? Climate action has become one of the nine objectives of the common agriculture policy since 2013 and because the commission attributed over 100 billion of euro over the period 2014-2020 Uh, we found it important to actually audit what was the impact uh, of this fund uh, on on the climate. So our aim was actually to investigate whether the CAP supported climate mitigation practices that have potential to reduce or remove greenhouse gas emissions and whether actually the uptake of the climate mitigation practices has increased Uh, in this 2014-2020 period compared to the 2007-2013 period. What was our overall finding, which actually we knew at the beginning, that this 100 billion euro actually make very little impact on the greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture, as these have not changed since 2010. We have uh, structured our report around three main sources of agriculture emissions. These are uh, animals, breeding of animals, fertilizing of soil and uh, using land. In terms of the livestock emissions, which account for uh, around half of the emissions, we found that the emissions are stable and that the cap does not seek to limit the, the livestock numbers and doesn't provide a real incentive to reduce them. We also found that, uh, maybe on the contrary, that there are measures under CAP which may increase or promote the consumption of meat products and that the consumption of meat products have not changed since 2014. In terms uh, of uh, emissions from uh, use of uh, chemical fertilizers and manure, which account for around a quarter of the greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture, we found that there are some measures which were largely supported by the cup, like uh, organic farming or uh, grain legumes, but uh, that these have an unclear impact. And overall, the emissions from the use of chemical fertilizers and manure have even increased between 2010 and 2018. During our review of studies, we identified a number of really effective 
practices that may reduce these emissions from the use of fertilizers, chemical fertilizers and manure, but these were rarely supported by the CAP. The last key source of emissions in the agriculture is uh, the land use and mainly the cultivation of drain peatlands, which emits uh, 20% of the EU 27 agriculture emissions. Although there was some support available for the restoration and rewetting, it was rarely used. And, and what's a bit bizarre that uh, the framework of the cup is, is such that actually it pays direct payments to farmers who actually cultivate these uh, drained uh, peatlands. And when you actually rewet it, you may have a problem to be eligible for these uh, direct payments. So this serves as kind of a disincentive for the farmers really to, to, to rewet drained peatlands which they cultivate. We as well noticed that uh, or found that uh, there was not really an increased support for afforestation, agroforestry and conversion of arable land to permanent grassland uh, during the 2014-2020 compared to the 2007 and 2013. And lastly, maybe why things have not improved. The reason is that uh, actually the, the measures available have not changed really much. So... The rural development measures remain more or less the same uh, as they were before, the same to cross-compliance. And the new scheme, which was supposed to improve the environmental performance of the CAP, the greening, actually have not delivered and had a very marginal impact uh, on climate. So we have a three things which we recommend. Uh, so we want the CAP to reduce the emissions from agriculture, incentivizing some uh, climate-effective uh, measures to reduce uh, emissions from use of fertilizers and livestock. We want the Commission to take steps to reduce emissions from cultivated drain organic soils. And we want the Commission to report um, regularly on the impact of the CAP on climate mitigation. So thanks for this, uh, uh, for giving us this good eagle-eyed view of, uh, of the report. But I want to ask you if you could tell us a bit more about the methodology of this uh, report, because of course it's, it's about data and, uh, and you actually highlighted uh, that uh, lack of data is an issue. Uh, so what data are you basing uh, the report off and um, how did you reach these conclusions? In terms of uh, emissions, that's quite straightforward. We looked at the uh, greenhouse gas inventories available for, for all EU27 member states. So while these greenhouse gas inventories may not take into account of all the climate mitigation measures supported with the CAP, when we discussed this issue with the member states and, and to which we actually sent to all of them a, a questionnaire, with that question we realized that uh, maybe some measures are not covered. But, but most of the measures are covered. So actually the, the information on the emissions which are reported in these greenhouse gas inventories reasonably well reflect the situation. Where we see a huge problem is uh, to find the information on the uptake of the mitigation practices and what might be their, their impact on greenhouse gas emissions. How we wanted to go about it is that we created a questionnaire which contained with an expert which contained about uh, over 100 uh, mitigation practices and we asked each member state to provide us information on these mitigation practices since 2010 and of course uh, direct us you know under which cap support this 
mitigation measure is supported. So this was our, our kind of main basis, actually, to collect information on the uptake of the mitigation practices. Then actually we had the interviews uh, and with experts. We uh, we corroborated the data we received from the member states from where possible with the data from Eurostat. But throughout the report, you may say that there are a number of issues where we had a problem to get the data. For example, organic farming, we have a data on the uptake. It is increasing. That's very good. But we don't know what happened actually at farm level. What has been actually the decrease or the impact of a farmer, you know, turning from an intensive farmer or, or conventional farmer to organic farmer and what has happened on the farm. So that's a basic information we would think would be necessary to assess the impact of the of the organic farming. And that information is not available. So Actually, throughout our report, we highlighted uh, areas where we had a problem and with with a lack of data. But uh, I think we try to do our best, what is possible. And I think that's why we have in our recommendations that the Commission should assess it, because I think the key is to set up the system in a way that allows them to have the data available and to assess the impact of the CAP measures uh, on climate. So you've already highlighted that one area of the report um, that was uh, particularly harsh, maybe in its criticism, is on the inaction uh, on livestock farming. And so this is likely to cause quite a stir in the farming community, um, particularly in certain member states. So maybe you could elaborate a little bit on why there was this targeting um, of the livestock sector specifically, and also concretely the kind of actions that you'd like to see in the future. And and I'm also wondering, um, so it seems to me that this is based off some kind of, you know, assumptions about greenhouse gas emissions of livestock, but does this also take into account also the merits of livestock in terms of soil health and carbon storage in the soil? Um, I'm wondering, maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on that. Once actually you look at the key sources uh, of uh, greenhouse gas emission from agriculture, livestock is the key source. So when you look only at the enteric fermentation and the manual storage, it's 50%. If you take actually into account as well what animals has to eat and it has to be produced using fertilizers or imported from uh, third countries in terms of uh, soya beans and may lead to to deforestation and so having you know another bad impact on the climate we have a graph which actually says that uh, the carbon footbridge of animal products is is, is even higher is over 80 percent so it's difficult actually to try to somehow reduce the greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture not tackling avoiding to do anything for the animals and unfortunately uh, almost 40 percent of these emissions uh, come from enteric fermentation where currently there is no available technology uh, to reduce it although there is one in a pipeline in terms of like a feed additives that's a bit more suitable for uh, intensive indoor uh, uh, breeding rather than extensive ones so the only way how actually one would reduce the emissions from livestock is, is by the reduction of the livestock. And what was interesting, that uh, a report was published and, and uh, I read an article one day later that France has decided uh, that they will reduce their livestock by 2050 and by 
I think it's 30 or 25 percent. So, so it's really, really a huge commitment. We'll see how, how, how they will do it. But I think everyone agrees that somehow the number of the livestock has to be reduced. And it probably has to go hand in hand with the, with the reduction in the consumption. Because if you reduce the livestock numbers, then if you don't reduce the consumption, there is a bit of risk of leakage. Although maybe as we have a quite high trade barriers for the import of the specialty of the cat the beef meat, maybe if we, win, we reduce, there will always be globally a benefit because uh, it's more difficult to import the beef. Plus uh, another element is that there are discussion about this uh, uh, carbon border tax. So that would again, make the conditions for, for selling the, the meat in Europe the same for the importers as well. So that uh, would make it better and reduction in the livestock would actually pay off in reduction of the emissions. If you purely look at the, at the climate mitigation, I think there is not a major difference between um, extensive and intensive farming. But of course, extensive farming in terms of uh, breeding animals is, is quite good for biodiversity and uh, may avoid land abandonment and, uh, and things like that. But on the other hand, afforestation of, of some poor land or revetting or bringing the water table up on some pastures would reduce significantly the emissions because you would have a less, less livestock. And then these emissions, which are currently significant on these drained peatlands, would stop because you would uh, raise the water, you would restore it. So I think... Uh, all these measures should have to be somehow uh, taken. I think we cannot probably live without intensive breeding because we would not produce maybe enough food. But extensive is good for biodiversity. But some sort of a reduction is probably necessary. Otherwise, we will not be able to really reduce. If you accumulate all the other aspects, is 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 due to livestock emissions, then you cannot do much with the rest because you need the nitrogen for the for the crops to to grow so you can of course reduce it somehow but again you cannot uh, avoid it completely so for that reason i think that uh, the reduction is necessary because simply it just uh, accounts for such a last share of the of the emissions and and without touching it, it we wouldn't uh, move into the into the right direction and also the report put forward this idea of uh, polluter pace principle uh, being applied to agriculture. So why do you feel this is necessary in farming? And, and I know also that the auditors have a report coming out on, uh, on this soon. So will this explore the idea further? What we are uh, very pleased that the Commission accepted our finding and will carry a study actually to look how it would be possible to implement the polluter pace principle into agriculture. In, in theory, you can have a two ways probably. One is uh, some sort of a carbon tax. The other one is maybe cap and trade, which is more like a, the emission uh, trading system. But it is uh, much more difficult to implement than uh, how the, the emission trading scheme is easy because it's a big installations which are un under that schemes and it's easy to, to, to measure the emissions. You know, there is, a, there is an easy calculation of it. In agriculture, to calculate... Uh, and emissions per farm is quite complicated and not, not an easy exercise. And measure the possible reductions is, is as well quite complicated. So, uh, so it's not easy, but I think it needs to be done for, for two reasons. First reason is that uh, those who actually emit have somehow, you know, 
pay for it. That's the pay to pay principle. So you you cannot uh, the externalities have to be somehow incorporated in the into the price. So um, uh, in the end, you know the, the the consumer will 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 feel the difference as well. So if uh, if the if if the beef if the if the production of a beef uh, the, the externality that it causes uh, increases emissions is not incorporated in the price, then people can continue buying it because it's cheap. While if there was a carbon tax, maybe maybe people will move more to plant-based uh, diet. So one element is to make the difference between the the food which is produced with less emissions and food which is produced with more emissions. And second element, which I think is equally important, to reward somehow farmers who will invest the money into uh, climate beneficial practices and who will who will spend the money because even if there are incentives from the EU, you always have to, most of them, co-finance. So I think that would be a, a good thing is that if someone is actually, you know, really introducing uh, effective climate mitigation practices, you know, that there is some sort of an incentive. So maybe the carbon tax is different or, or he's treated differently somehow. Because otherwise, uh, why should a farmer in, uh, invest into climate-friendly practices when maybe it's not profitable? He's spending his money and lowering his profit. So I think it's, it's important to incorporate that, to actually incorporate that externality in, into business decisions of the farmers. You know whether whether he should uh, whether he should uh, invest in the uh, climate mitigation practices or not, and then give the signal as well to the. To the consumer, so maybe even a possibility of a some sort of a consumer pay policy might be as well. Uh, you know, a, a simplified uh, simplified carbon tax on a beef, you know, could be one possibility as well. It's definitely an interesting idea, and it was interesting to see as well that the commission was. I mean, they responded quite favorably um, to the idea in in their feedback. Um, I, I wanted to turn um, now to a slightly wider question, um, a more general question. So we had a look back on some of the other reports um, from the Court of Auditors to do with the cap. And we found that there's been um, quite a historical criticism of the cap from the auditors. Uh, and I wanted to hear from you your opinion of um, whether you feel that your reports are listened to and kind of taken seriously enough. I mean, we looked back at one um, from 2018, I think it was, warning that the plans to reform the cap was not were not ambitious enough. Do you feel that these, these reports have enough impact uh, and are listened to enough by decision makers? We are auditors. We try to look what are the objectives of the policy and whether they are somehow achieved. To be honest with CAP, we had a truly many, many reports which were very critical. I think the main reason for the CAP might be that uh, although there have been a number of reforms, I don't think that there, uh, a significant change has taken place. And with, with the arrival of kind of more environmental and, and the climate uh, objectives, the, the, the cap has not changed that, although it has been kind of sold to the citizens that it's going to do more. Something like with the greening, now we have a new scheme, it will do a lot better. And when you look actually what greening has caused, is it has not really pushed the farmers to change uh, the practices the change to practices is, I think we had a report, like I think it's one or 2% maximum in changing uh, the, the practices uh, of the farmer. So we, of course, think uh, most of our recommendations are addressed uh, to the commission. And and I think uh, commission has sometimes a difficulty. I think now they are pushing for a, 
a bit more uh, environmental friendly and, and, and climate friendly cap. But I think there is a, a big opposition in the member states uh, from the council. And the reason is, I think that uh, farmers are a strong electorate uh, in, in member states and, and a strong unified community. And it's, it's, it's very difficult for them. They are naturally uh, scared that they are going to lose the money, which, which uh, you know, kind of if you are receiving money for 20, 30 years, you think that, that they are for the community and you're afraid that you're going to lose them. So I think what needs to happen is, uh, and I think it's, it's with every of the reform, there is a stronger and stronger pressure to do better for the environment and climate. And uh, we'll see what will happen. To, uh, but we hope that somehow our report now could a bit maybe a contribute because I think uh, there is a bit of momentum that, that things maybe can, can, can go better if things are agreed. But very much as well, it, it will depend on, uh, in the end, it will depend with this, with this cup what the individual member states include in these cup strategic plans, whether they will uh, uh, take the problem seriously and whether they really would like to to farmers to to do things you know and and to incentivize the farmers to do uh maybe more effective measures you know either for biodiversity or for climate you know in uh, i think it's important like we we had a report on uh you know i think uh, about the fair income of farmers which i think uh that's a key objective for the cup and and, and we have been always criticizing and, and everyone knows that 80% of the funds goes to 20% of beneficiaries. So, and we know that the commission is trying to introduce the, the cap limits and then change that. But again, there's a strong uh, uh, defense in, in member states where maybe most of the, they, they have large farms and they're afraid that they would lose uh, a lot of money. So it's a difficult area. And, and I would say if we were to nowadays uh, start kind of this zero-based budgeting where we would say what well, the cup should have achieved and we would start from zero, the cup would look completely different. The problem is the, the history of the cup and, and difficulty to transform. And maybe other funds needs to be created, maybe with a carbon tax and other, and other funds which might be available for the farmers to, to maybe find uh, a different activities beneficial for climate, which uh, move them away maybe for the from some of the activities which are harmful uh, for the environment and climate. And and the previous question actually uh, gives me a good segue for uh, the last question, which is um, related to the current Agriculture Commissioner, Janusz Wojciechowski, who uh, is a former member of the European Court of Auditors. So I'd like to know if... Um, this thing actually changed the way you you've been looked at i mean by the commission or uh, if it gives some kind of i don't know visibility because he also mentioned a lot um the reports that he was working on uh, when he was uh, auditor for instance in in his uh, press conference so i would like to know uh, if this uh, changed a bit the the visibility that you have and and also your relationship with the commission at the team level we don't have uh, usually it doesn't happen that we would meet the the commissioner so uh i don't think that uh, there was actually any influence and on on our audit you know that the current commissioner he was a former uh, member of the court i think at all maybe what could help him maybe to understand you know how we carry the audits uh, and things like that but uh 
we mostly dealt uh, with people with various DG, DG Acre, DG Klima, and uh, you know our meetings are you know go up to level of a, of a director. But there was no, you know, interaction. I think they have been, of course, communicating uh, with the commissioner, maybe how our audit is progressing when we had the draft report, which we maybe shared uh, with the commission. And then during the adversarial procedure, I can imagine that there might have been some sort of a feedback or information session with the commissioner to inform him, you know, where where, where we are, what are our major, major findings, observations and recommendations. But we haven't felt actually any unusual, you know, uh, dealings because uh, Mr. Wojciechowski was uh, a former member of the court. So that's all from us this week. And this week, like every week, the Euractive Agri-Food podcast was produced by Euractive's Agri-Food news team. That's Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Foote with the support of Euractive's podcast producer, Evie Curie. And you can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms. That's Apple, Amazon, Spotify and Stitcher. And be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agriculture news from the EU. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Mm